you find your last payment, this is to start, your last deposit, be it a paycheck, um, money for mom and dad or someone else, or client payment, and multiply just 0.01, multiply that by the last deposit amount. And many of us don't use our savings account, so let's start using it. You'll take that resulting number and move it to your savings, and that's the start. Welcome to The Depth Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Miller. Here we are going to be diving deep into the layers of the human experience, talking about what it looks like to live in pleasure and play, while also dipping into what it feels like to swim in the darker, more shadowy sides of life. I'm an embodiment and sacred sexuality mentor, guiding hearts into more pleasure and intimacy in their everyday life. I am a lover, a connector, and an intuitive who is here to simply pour more love into this planet. Come play with me and let's go deep. Welcome back to another episode of Depth. I am so grateful that you are here for another chat, another deep conversation, and today's one is a good one. I have a new friend here with me, Chioma, and we are going to dive deep into money and chatting about bringing more pleasure to our money management and our relationship with money, and I think this is a really great um convo that I, I think you're gonna love I've been deep into my money stuff in the last year um, or over a year throughout 2020 into, into 2021 really navigating my relationship to it and how to create a more um, pleasurable and bountiful foundation for my relationship with money to exist in and I think if you're navigating those waters yourself um, or just thinking about different ways to explore and be in relationship with money, then you will probably love this episode. So um, before we jump in, I just wanted to graciously ask you if you have been loving depth, if you have been enjoying these conversations, if they have been bringing you any value at all, it would mean the absolute world to me. If you would support me in this podcast by leaving uh, a review on Apple Podcasts. So go ahead and rate the podcast and review with a thoughtful note. And uh, that would really help me a long way in the building phase of this podcast. So if you can take a couple quick seconds to do that, it would be, it would just make my heart sing. So I would love you for that and appreciate it big, big time. So without further ado, uh, let's jump into this conversation about money. Hi, and welcome to the show. I am so excited to chat with you today, Chioma, all about money and all of the good stuff that I feel like we, uh, I was just saying to you before we hit the record here, I feel like you have this beautiful perspective of neutralizing a heavy topic that carries a lot of uncomfiness in people's bodies when they approach this subject. And I think you can see this throughout your Instagram, just a beautiful approach to money that feels like a bit of a a breath of fresh air. And so I'm really excited to dive in today uh, and discuss a little bit more about how everyday people can just maybe manage their money a little bit better, maybe approach it with a bit more of ease and grace and have fun with it. So how can we bring the pleasure back to money? So thank you for being here. I'm so excited to ask you some juicy questions. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thank you so much for for the honor of this discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. So um, as you mentioned, my name is Chiyama. Uh, Feel free, everyone, to call me Chi. 
and I am the mindful bookkeeper. <laughs> so my, my main goal is to help everyone, as many people as I can, keep more of their hard-earned money without sacrificing the things that make life enjoyable because we're really here to have a human experience and then just just enjoy so we should have as many resources as possible to to make that happen and that includes money mm-hmm. yeah i just think it, it is such a refreshing way of thinking about it rather than being like how can we have more how can we get more how do we um you know acquire how do we like you know, that scarcity mindset of like, keep it in our bank accounts. And I think you just have this refreshing breath to it. So you and I got connected um, through a masterclass of a mutual friend. And we in the uh, masterclass were asked to sort of chit chat back and forth. Um, we were practicing podcasting in this um, masterclass. And I was got paired with you. And I was so excited to actually dig into the questions that I was like, let's let's for real record a podcast. So this is a really fun opportunity to be able to have this conversation and we don't actually know each other that well. So this is perfect. Um, and I'm grateful that you're here. So tell us a little bit about how you got into money, into bookkeeping. Um, and my understanding is you came from accounting as well, right? The, your background there. So, Oh yes. Um, yeah, I love how this happened. (laughs) Um, So I was actually supposed to be a physician because I come from a family of physicians. And um, speaking of money, I I felt like money has really touched my life in actually the not so healthy ways that I would like to think that many of us go through, um, as we'll continue to discuss uh, as we as we go along. But um, money was actually the reason why I didn't pursue medical school. And um, actually, one of the greatest things I'm now realizing that my dad especially said is that many physicians are not really great with handling their finances. So he wanted me to go to, to business school so that I can learn how to be an accountant and take better command of money. Mm-hmm. Um, the intention behind it, however, is what we, I would say, are, a lot of us are taught to, how we're taught to relate to money, as in your, your salary equals your worth or somehow equals a worth some version of success so what's actually started off as me taking command of money and having really something to relate to health in a healthy way shifted into oh my gosh i'm failing because i'm not making this money after having for example i have two i'm going to just say two master's degrees master's in in accounting and an mba so one would be like whoa my resume looks amazing on paper. <laughs> yes, I work for those companies. I even once ran an accounting department. And this lady that's speaking right now has nothing, had nothing to show for it. Like I was living from paycheck to paycheck, despite eventually getting that six figures. And if and even with that six figures, I was overdrawing my bank accounts. I didn't own property. I was not married. Um, I didn't have anything to really say, to really make it obvious that, that, oh, that's why you're, you're draining your bank accounts. I just had a really, really bad relationship with money. Um, I wish I had a designer labels. I didn't, I didn't even have a car. Nope. That's not true. I had one, a car I shouldn't have had, but even then that was paid off. So (laughs) I, um, I essentially did what they what was all the right things from the schools I went to to um, the kind of 
educational background to even having like, like following some of the classic money advice, like cutting the coffees. I didn't have a gym membership. Um, I got my, did my nails at home. I mean, a lot of DIY everything. I shopped on discount and long story short, like all of my unhealthy relationship with money caught up with me about five years ago where I was like, I, I was pretty much, I couldn't afford to put a roof over my head. Me and my dog had to move in with my parents who were also cash strapped. And it just forced me to really start to look at things a different way after blaming everyone, of course. <laughs> but um, I see it now as a, as a huge blessing in disguise. Wow. Uh, yeah, I had no idea about the you going into or on the track to go into medicine. Is that where your folks were coming from? Yeah. As a background in medicine? Oh, okay. Yeah. And so in that time where you moved back and you kind of, did it feel like a rock bottom where you were, where you moved back in with the, your parents and you're kind of at this place that you're recollecting yourself? And what what was, like, how did you pick yourself up from that? How do you, how are you where you are today after that experience? Like what started to shift and change? It was, so it was, I was running from rock bottom for a while, um, mm. come to think of it. And Two years prior, I broke off an engagement. So I was, I, was, I was steadily losing things, quote unquote, losing things in my life that I actually needed to lose. And what really kicked it off, I was in such denial, I refused to unpack my suitcases. And I mm-hmm. lived out of my suitcases in a home <laughs> for almost a year. And mm-hmm. I thought I'd be back on my feet quickly. But when it seemed like I might be sticking around for a little bit of time and I started to unpack my suitcases, I was looking at my clothes and those clothes were more so memories. And so it had me remember all the things that I, I did do, like all my accomplishments. And it wasn't money. It was like, oh, wow, I remember when I did the reach the beach relay and I ran in the dark afraid of a moose. Um, but there was no moose, but it was just like, I ran under these, the, the stars and I'm remembering the trips that I took because of the little money that I managed to have. I remember remembering my friends and just all these great experiences that I never took the time to acknowledge because I was so busy chasing money instead of remembering what money did for me. Mm. So that was the first start start. And it was after I started to acknowledge actually pretty immediately some webinar uh, about a book called Profit First, um, it showed up. I just did a random Google search. I wasn't even looking about money, uh, looking up anything. It was, I think I was just looking on Google and this book called Profit First showed up and I felt like it was, it was just meant to be. So I bought the book, I read it, and that was really the start of a lot of, the continuation, I should say, of a lot of things. Wow. And is that around the time where you started your business or had you still been doing the business? Like where were you when you moved out in back in with your parents? How, did you have your mindful bookkeeping business yet or um, to come? It was not less. It was not even maybe the soul was there. Okay, <laughs> I was yeah. actually trying to be a yoga teacher because I was part of my blame phase was like, screw accounting. Business is bad. Corporations suck. Like I was just putting out all this toxic energy. And so I thought, let me be a yoga teacher. Um, And I was already a teacher, so I skipped a few details. I already became a yoga teacher before I had to move in with my mom and dad. So I Mm -hmm. tried my hand at that. And teaching yoga 
really being a business owner, <laughs> it reveals it's huge personal development. And the biggest thing that kept showing up was money, my relationship with money. And the yoga community, sorry to stereotype, they got some spiritual people in general have some issues with money. So I took it as a sign that people needed help organizing their finances. And around, let's say a year and a half into living with my parents, that's when I started to implement what I learned from the book Profit First, which was more of like the, for me, just a typical accounting one plus one equals two. Hmm. So I taught myself how to save money by reading this book, by using some of the techniques in this book. And then I just built my financial confidence and started to open myself up to so much more. Yeah. You said something about, you know, spiritual people in general have a bit of stickiness with money. Like, do you have any idea what those, do you see any patterns with that? Cause that's definitely, you know, come up for me as well. And in community that I, that I chat with a lot of the time is that, um, I don't, I'm not sure if distrust with money is the right word or if it's worthiness, but would you say that there's a pattern there that you haven't been able to identify through your work? There is. It's, it shows up in different industries, but at the end of the day, it's this whole money is bad and it's such a bad, it's such a, it's a, it was a form of control in the past. <laughs> and I grew up Catholic. And so it's interesting when I change my perception with money, how I see things differently and connect with different people in the same Catholicism that I'm not really part of anymore. I'm part of more spiritual. But at the time, whatever was translated in the Bible, human translation, the poor shall inherit the earth. So many of us grow up with that message. Actually, there's a lot of messages we grow up with, but specifically, like we're talking spirituality, religion, we grow up with that message as in, or um, money is the root of all that's evil. Horrible mistranslation. It's the love of money, but we, we strip out a lot of things and it's just money. Mm-hmm. So spiritual people grow up with that. And, and that's, they believe that to be spiritual is to live minimally and to not have possessions and it's unfortunate because in the world, in our world today, we need money to exchange, to get things. So um, that's what I see a lot of. It's this misunderstanding as to the role money plays in our lives and therefore the resistance to tracking our finances and honoring our money and mm-hmm. calling it in. Yeah, yeah. When you're working one-on-one with people, like, you know, in the beginning when we were chatting, I said, I feel like you have this way of neutralizing um, the topic of money and discussing even just organizing your your pockets and figuring out what your books look like. Um, Do you have common tools that you lean into within that conversation of neutralizing it, especially when you have a lot of quote-unquote stuff, either from your childhood or your religion or from your upbringing? place and time in which you're living in that you carry, how do you feel like most people can navigate neutralizing something that does feel fairly spicy in its nature? Sure. I love stepping into inquiry. So there's two, so two things. There's that. Actually, I'll talk about that first and foremost, because I don't, we're so busy doing, 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 and doing looks a certain way. We don't give ourselves an opportunity to reflect in terms of just asking ourselves why. And so it's just really 
getting the person to understand that it's safe to ask, why do you feel uncomfortable with money? Or just ask why in general. So where does getting to the beginning to peel the layers back as to the source of that discomfort? And it takes some time because it's person just never thought about it before. And here's something else not a lot of us get the opportunity to to step into unless we're no, not not even when we're in a relationship with our our partners. The simple, what do you want? Mm. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm allowed to want things, and it's like, yeah, not it's not what your parents want, it's not what you saw on TV. It's what do you want? What feels authentic to you? And a lot of people, more so, they're not really. This is changing, thank goodness. But a lot of us don't really know what we want. We're living someone else's life. And so it's that discovery of you. And that's what starts to change your financial life. It's really understanding what you need to fulfill a bigger picture, not live your parents living vicariously through you or your friends living vicariously through you or the real housewives of whatever living through that. So... That's so fascinating. And I, I do, I love the conversation of money because I, the parallels between what you just said, you know, the inquiry, the curiosity and what's there, what's alive and what's real, the being versus the doing, all of that is what I work with my clients on when it comes to sensuality and your sexual expression. And it's just so fascinating to me, the parallels that money and sex ride like they are you know we can apply so many of the same principles truly in neutralizing our stuff quote unquote from um our sexual education our sexual upbringing and our our money education and money upbringing um which is so cool so let's go back there for a second in terms of education within um money as young little little people young people in school I think the the financial literacy is uh, inadequate. Um, I, you know what we're actually taught in school and how to navigate um, living in a world that's that's currency is is paper and coins. Um, uh, what do you wish little people were taught about money that would create a better foundation for um, maybe easing some of the stress that now we're carrying as adults navigating the world. I remember when I was in school and the way that my teachers taught me how to count, or even I watched Sesame Street, the count <laughs> teaches, I don't know if, if Sesame Street is available everywhere, but the count, ah, 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 ah. So yeah, yeah I just did that. <laughs> but the count taught me how to count and my teachers taught me how to count. And we would use things like Fruit Loops, um, this type of cereal. Not good for you, but it was good. Delicious. <laughs> Delicious, yes. But we'd use cereal or like cups to count. I wish that my teacher would give gave us like Monopoly money. I think most places have the board game Monopoly mm-hmm. and would teach us how to buy things using play money. Like just it's it's play so we don't have to be all adult like and time value of money and all of that but just just have a little lesson about okay I want to buy candy because kids like candy I hope and then we're starting to introduce fruit but what does a child have to do with their play money for the day to get an apple or to get fruit or to get to get um a poster and so these playful lessons when we're young would 100% translate into 
that bring that play as adults because it starts to teach us that a healthy relationship with money, like it's all exchange to get something you need to also get, it's all to get something. You also need to give something. And this thing that you're giving gets you this resource. It's all about resources circulating. So that's, I would love as a child, shoot as an adult, (laughs) give me some monopoly money. Let's play. I love that. And I love the idea of like, you know, even just in a day knowing like having a little bit of monopoly money in your hands and knowing that if you want something, you know, at maybe later in the day that you can't spend all of your other colorful bills early in the day, if you hope after school to go to the variety and, and get the chocolate bar or whatever. I think that's a beautiful um, idea and principle. Um, Do you work with a lot of parents in sort of their, like the conversations with their young people in money or? Are you working mainly with uh, individuals who are now budgeting for themselves? I It starts with individuals. I do have a good handful of single mothers. Mm-hmm. So it does start off as I want to do better to provide for my child. Then eventually it's, oh, guess what? I'm teaching my son or my daughter how to budget. Or I'm teaching my son or daughter how to save for this car that they want or a scooter. So the mm-hmm. lessons that I'm sharing with the adult, they're passing on to their children because they themselves are getting comfortable with money, with the discussion of it and seeing that it's not something that is toxic or, or means something negative about them. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm very curious about that piece of it, just because in 2021, I've really been navigating the generational patterns of um, of finances within specifically the women in my family, and then really getting curious and having conversations with my parents about um, about money and what we were, you know, some of the things that were shared in our household, like, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, and some of those sayings that I think a, a a fair bit of people in our generation can recall hearing in our household. Um, and so me unpacking these sort of uh, these layers and layers to things that have been passed down and passed down is like, I really want to clear out and kind of dismantle so that when I bring young people into this world, I can have a bit of a, a fresher garden, if you will, right? Like a bit of a, a foundation that really holds people and, uh, um, a place where it can really flourish. Um, and not to, this is not to knock if mom and dad are listening or anything like that. It's not to knock anything, but I think we do carry a lot of this stuff in our bodies, um, and in, in the conversations and in the, the thoughts and in the, um, the heaviness that we can carry throughout money. And, uh, it's, it's no one's fault. It's just what's there. It's what's, you know, like you're saying, the curiosity, it's what's available to us, right? 100%. I actually had a a huge breakthrough recently um, just because talking about money with my parents, not always the easiest thing. um, And it's just because of their background. And I feel grateful to have started, I was part of a training that talked about generational wounds. And it gave me this perspective as to where my parents were coming from because they taught, they teach all of us to the best of their ability and they learn from someone else. So when I really stepped into, I learned much of what I did with, from my dad. And um, because my mother, she didn't really handle the bills. Um, she was taking care of me and my brother, taking care of the home. So the, the traditional household. And so 
understanding where my, my dad and even my mom came from. My dad came from Nigeria. At that time, there was a civil war going on. So structures were not in place. Structures were displaced. What tends to happen when people are at war? You're trying to survive. Resources are scarce. You're not paying bills on time. Your electricity may or may not be on. And my dad brought that mentality with him to the U.S. where things are very, for him, he's still in that scarcity mindset that was implanted in him as a child. My dad will never buy anything new. There's always not enough to go around. And at the same time for him coming to America was a land of opportunity and it looked a certain way, hence why, um, no, I didn't mention this earlier on. For, for me, I always thought I was broke because of my parents. And mm-hmm. because that's how they always thought they were broke despite their amazing accomplishments. And despite, I, I never thought I was worth having anything new. And even though I earned the six figures, it wasn't enough because to my parents, it's never enough. So once I put myself in my dad's shoes and my, a little bit of my mom, I understood how I once was and how I got to my rock bottom moment. And it was almost like it just freed me, like I peeled a huge, huge layer open, like I cracked wide open and yeah, it was just freeing. It's like I needed to know that. I needed to go through that to just get that level of understanding. So all this to say, just understanding the generations, just understanding where your parents are coming from and grandparents are coming from when they teach you anything, money and otherwise, it's huge. It's really, really huge. Yeah, that context, right, for for what you're navigating through because, yeah, I can only I can only imagine that strife of, of living in such conflict and then like you said you know not being sure if the electricity is going to flick on or off or if if the bill will arrive on time and if you can pay it and all of those things like how much um discomfort then lives once inside that body and that stress and anxiety of holy like there's a lot that i'm carrying on my back um so yeah that context is huge and i think going back to what you said earlier is is approaching those conversations with not uh not emotionally driven but with that curiosity of like what was going on for you because I feel like we grow up and we're just like we think our parents are um obviously it's the it's the one thing we're looking at we just think that as the norm and that's sort of the um we're put them on a pedestal and like you're you know right from wrong like you're gonna help lead me to you know, the, uh, the end of the mountain. And it's like seeing their humanness through that process is, uh, is really, really important. And I think it's only really now where I'm sitting at that I'm starting to look back and be like, well, I'm 20, I'm going to be 28 this month. And looking back to like, where were my parents when, when they were 28 and seeing that me, as I've been growing up, they've been growing up too this whole time. And I think that kind of like blew my mind, right? It's like you're you're watching them take really big financial risks, really big um, life steps, really big milestones. And you're just like, oh, well, they know how to do it. Like they're my parents, right? Yeah. So anyway, let's, uh, let's move in back. We got a little, uh, into the, into the family stuff, yeah. here, which I love, which was great. Um, so 
what would you say are tips for people bringing more pleasure back into the body when it comes to money? I know you talk a lot about like, um, I think in your bio, it says, you know, like how we can have the, the fun things in life. And also maybe you can quote me directly on what it, it does say, but it says something to the effect of bringing back just more of that play into um, our money management. Um, so what do you work on with your clients or within your own personal money management that really allows for pleasure and play to exist? So I'm actually going to bring up something that you said in another podcast episode, actually with Chelsea. Um, so I want to shout out that episode. And you said a lot of times we talk about the mind, but then there's also the body. And this is something I do recommend often to feel good. Go out and move. That could be working out. That could be dancing but move the body. Just, we want science scientifically, like you have chemicals that just happen happy, they put you in that happy space. But in general, just moving puts you in a good frame of mind. And when you feel good, you're going to approach anything, especially money, from a better frame, right? Your, your lens is clean or cleaner <laughs> versus coming in, you're stiff, you're not feeling good, of course you're not going to have a good experience reviewing your finances, acknowledging it. So put yourself in a frame of mind because your money is a reflection of you. Feel good, exercise. Even if you're like, I don't have time, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, five mm -hmm. minutes, do something to just move your body and connect with yourself. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, if you're feeling kind of stress within maybe paying a bill or making a payment, you could you could jump around a little bit before and that would be supportive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I know. I've definitely caught myself. I mean, we've been in the most challenging. I mean, this has been the most challenging year of my life in terms of uncertainty and living through a pandemic was something I never really thought was like going to be a thing. And when I entered the pandemic, I was doing freelance makeup artistry and then the whole wedding industry was canceled for the year. And I really found myself in this place of like, I've got a you know, the pivot is that overused word of 2020 and 2021, but it's like I had to figure out a way to swim. And I remember that constriction in my body of um, kind of losing that stability of what I knew to be true for the next, say, five to six months through that spring and summer of wedding season um, and catching myself a lot, like looking at paying my rent or paying bills and being like, Ooh, there is so much discomfort that lives in my body before I click that submit to send the money off. And will I have more? And I'm sure a ton of people listening can can relate to the year that we've been in and, you know, maybe even beyond um, the year of 2020 and 2021. But I know that can be a, a challenging uh, space to live in. So for sure, let's move the body. Let's get some blood flowing, pump some endorphins. Um Anything else that you would recommend for uh, navigating those challenging, uh, submitting, you know, they're pushing some funds to another account or whatnot? Sure. Something that I actually will say you do as well, Makeup Mondays. One yeah. thing I did um, when I moved, I, so I currently live in Chicago, Illinois, and moving can be stressful. Just new place, you don't know anybody. It's just, it was unsettling. So something I did for the first six months consistently 
I would get up early in the morning, seven o'clock. I know so there's some 4 a.m. people. I'm not one of those. <laughs> Me neither. But, but I would actually put on makeup or at least lipstick, at the very least lipstick. And I would do that before I got started on my day. And mm-hmm. what that did for me personally is just, it, it was another mood booster. I felt better about myself. And that's something that one can do when you feel good, you approach your finances in that same mood. Another thing building on top of that, that I tell people to do have dates. Like when you go out on a date, what do we do? We get dressed up. We find at the very least a clean shirt, (laughs) cook a favorite meal, like make money fun. You know, it doesn't have to be like, Oh, I have to go do money. You know, it doesn't have to be like that. You are the creator of your own environment. And I think we forget that. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to, I'm not putting down meditation, but I think some common suggestions are would, would be meditate journal, express gratitude, I highly recommend all of those. But if that's not your jam, go work out. Don't worry about how many calories. Just do it for the fun of it. Put some makeup on. If this is, everybody wears makeup. <laughs> so put some makeup on. Take a shower. I know a lot of us are still in the lockdown phase. Take a shower. Mm-hmm. We don't just take a shower just to go outside. Take a shower for you. Um, cook a favorite meal. Like get inspired, listen to podcasts like this. There's, and just know that you are in control of the environment that you set, the tone. Because when you set the tone, you set the mood, like on a date, light the candles, the music, roses. It puts yeah. you in the mood, right, for a date. Same thing for your money. Same thing for when I you purchase that. money. Yeah, the money dates are are a big thing. This is something that very recently came into my awareness is having uh, dates with your... with your online bank account or your, you know, your books, however you manage your money, but um, really approaching your, like, like you would on a first date with someone, right? When you open into your online banking or your PayPal account or wherever you're receiving and kind of moving money around is opening it up. And um, just as you wouldn't go into a blind first date or a first date with a Tinder match or whatever and be judgmental all at first, right? You wouldn't come all guns a blazing with um, like all of your stuff. You can approach opening up your online banking with sort of just that curious um, hat on and ask questions and look through and kind of suss out like what's happening here where where what are what's alive and what's real um, and you can kind of move into the stages uh, just as you probably wouldn't go right into an intimate moment in the in the beginning of a date you you probably want to build up to that as well maybe that's the circulating of money maybe that's the moving of money maybe that's um, the depositing of money that kind of thing so I love that idea and adorn yourself for it right um getting into a feel-good state so that that uh experience feels better in the body and a shower goes a a long way I know for sure (laughs) I've been managing sorry go ahead oh sorry I didn't mean to interrupt I, I just wanted to like actually piggyback off of what you just said a little goes a long way because this is one thing that a lot of people money can has been taught to us in a very intimidating way And if we watch, whether it's TV shows, read a book, it seems like you have to do all this stuff, take a huge leap. 
and that that's not sustainable at first or it's you don't get started so I love how you said just like on a date you don't just you don't just put all your 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 baggage on the table at least if you want to keep the person around right not scare them away um and maybe sometimes people like that but little steps like like just remembering your password for example remember your bank password um maybe log on and just look at the balance okay maybe the next time look at the next five transactions right or it just doesn't have to be such an overwhelming, let me do the budget and let me like, do all this complex moving of money and mergers and acquisitions. It doesn't have to be like that. It, uh, little steps, honestly, amazingly effective. Mm, I love that. And I can see the balance of that, that feminine energy versus the masculine sort of the organizational and the physical doing of the money piece in, in this conversation that we're having and those visuals with with money. Um, I was curious on your opinion on this, like, you know, if someone is living paycheck to paycheck, like you were describing in your story at the beginning, um, and it feels like saving or putting a bit away or chipping um, at maybe a chunk of debt or whatever they have, um, what would you suggest is something that most folks can do to feel like a bit more in control of their, of their books? I would say Number one, this is where I call it the keep it real with yourself, because there are some people that are okay with having debt, um, okay with not saving money because they make money easily and they feel pressured to save or pay off debt because that's what's expected. So if you can keep it real with yourself and just say, hey, look, I'm fine. I, this is not a priority to me right now. We're good. You know, well, no, you're good. I, I, you don't have to ask, ask me for approval, <laughs> but I totally respect that. So I think more of us need to just be like, look, it's not a priority right now, but let's say you do want to have step into that overflow and you're just like, look, I'm living from paycheck to paycheck. A suggestion that I, that I always share, and I took this from the book Profit First, which took it from other, which took it from other sources, but I call it the 1% rule. And so to do that, you find your last payment. This is to start your last deposit, be it a paycheck, um, money for mom and dad or someone else or client payment and multiply just 0.01, multiply that by the last deposit amount. And many of us don't use our savings account. So let's start using it. You'll take that resulting number and move it to your savings. And that's the start. Going forward, anytime you receive money, multiply it by just 1% so you won't feel like all your money is going away. And this is before you pay a bill, before you do anything. So multiply that 1% by that deposit, move it to your savings account, and try it for 90 days. You'll be surprised, like 1% of your money is like nothing nothing. And don't, I know sometimes it's like, is it before tax, after tax? Let's like leave that all out. This is about just getting started. So try moving 1% before you buy an ice cream cone or before you take a, before you pay bills, move 1% of your money over to your savings for 90 days. And it's, it's just pretty cool to see like, wow, I can do this. And you're putting yourself first. You're practicing being in that overflow and that 
you're in control of your finances, not your finances controlling you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I got to practice a 1% type of situation for myself. So that was great tip. Um, Do you work with a lot of entrepreneurs? I do. I do. I start off with working uh, their businesses. And then eventually it's like, hey, can we look at the personal finances too? And Mm -hmm. the... The practical stuff is all the same. Like it's more mindset, but then once the mind is right, the the things to do is pretty quote unquote easy. But the mind stuff is the mind and body (laughs) blocking, blocking what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By definition, right. It's like taking larger financial risks than the average person in, in that's, um, I'm coming to understand that a little bit more intimately now that I've been a a year into a different type of business, one that um, is a bit bigger scale than I uh, ever knew my makeup artistry or my sales business to be. And I think that that definition of knowing that it takes a, it takes guts and it takes a real um, mental presence to be able to sit with, um, you know, the, the intention to create more overflow and to be in abundance, but, um, to output a bit more in the beginning, um, which can be really uncomfortable. Mm. Right. So yeah, that, those, that risk is feeling, um, very real. And I'm sure if, uh, other folks who are listening or in the entrepreneurial space, uh, can maybe resonate as well with that feeling of like, Ooh, this is kind of, crunchy or sticky or uncomfortable to take these uh, these leaps of faith and really have to hold yourself in the vision of I will I will create what's on the other side of, of that thing have you felt that aspect in your business at all oh for sure and um, me wanting to practice what I, I preach um, I, okay well maybe I'm trained to look at my finances but the healthier way of looking at my finances because I never really no actually here's a funny thing when I was in corporate I never looked at my finances ever so now that I look and to see like what I was going through um some of the results like maybe I did a lot of things up front didn't see a result for a year and then to see it start to manifest it's like oh wow this is so cool so Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it is confronting. It's like, it is easier for me to look in a mirror (laughs) than to look at the other mirror called my finances. But once you start to see the changes and like yourself and your money, it can be the coolest thing ever. It's like, wow, I, I did that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When you were working your corporate career and making six figures, you said you were still had um, I think you said kind of like, I'm paraphrasing here, but little to show for it at the end of, at the end of the day, when you look back on that time, was it overspending that was in that, that was leading you to that situation or was it the mismanagement? Like, what would you say was, um, causing that, uh, discord? I had poor self-esteem and I didn't realize how it was showing up. I was, to, to answer your question, mismanagement in the form of, I was giving my money away. I, it was, and I was creating my own reality. I didn't think I had enough money and yeah, I, I made sure I didn't have it. 
So while at the surface, I thought I was taking control of my situation, I didn't realize how many times I paid other people's bills. Or there was a time that I thought that by the discounting, like I would, rather I'd buy things on discount or $20 here, $10 there. And I'd be like, that's not going to hurt anything. Like I never bothered. I, it added up. Mm-hmm. So I, it's weird to say that I bought a lot of clothes and shoes, but I didn't have evidence of it because it was so cheap. And those things would just disintegrate in the washing machine or the shoes would, the heels would break. And I would just go to the store and buy another one because I loved how people were like, oh, you dress so well. You look so professional. And I thought that was the way to success. Yeah. So I was doing things to not have evidence, to doing things to just give my money away. And I was proving myself right, that I was broke. Hmm. Wow, yeah, the, those little things, they, soup, they really do add up. And I think even when you just take that curiosity and approach your pocketbook to look at what automatic payments you have even going out that are little apps and things like that, that, you know, you think, oh, two ninety nine or a dollar or whatever, it doesn't really add up. And then all of a sudden you've got 10 of them reoccurring every month. And yeah, they really do. And the same thing, you buy a $5 t-shirt maybe on, on clearance at even like a Walmart or something, because you just want a basic t-shirt. But then you're replacing that every six months because it's getting, you know, yellow stains on it or, or whatever, which maybe a uh, a bit of a higher quality shirt would would be able to um, take some bleach and a, a stain remover, and it could last the, the so test true. of time. So <laughs> I love that. That's so true. A really good point. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, in kind of recap, what you've shared with us is like we, you know, move your body before before getting into money. Like really pump some endorphins, um, clear some energy out to have some fun with with your your pocketbook also approach it with some curiosity like you know have have that kind of curious eye to look at things see what's actually alive and real um what are you navigating and then gave us some of those practical tips with the one percent and the and the book the resource can you say the name again of the oh it's, it's called profit first by mike Michalowicz, and i'll spell that out when i share okay, that with we'll you pop it in the show notes <laughs> yes. yeah um any other tips that you think uh we can leave the listeners with or just what the average person could do um just in wrapping up here that you think is important sure the one of the best things i've heard uh lately it actually took me some time to understand this but anything you do it's always the intention behind it it's not so much the thing itself so when you spend money you should feel good about it. So like, for example, you, you brought up the t-shirt. Um, if you love that $5 t-shirt, that's a good spend and it'll last for you. But when you're buying things and many of us buy things that we don't like, but we're doing it because we feel pressure, feel pre- peer pressure, that's not a good source of energy behind it. And that's where I would find that the money leaves you. So at the end of the day, it's just value. It's how you feel about yourself and, and do what you can to feel good. And that includes how you earn and how you spend. Mm, I love that tip. Yeah, this has been an amazing conversation and I really appreciate all that you've brought to to converse and, and to share. And I think you've brought a lot of good nuggets that if anyone's listening, maybe jotting down a few notes and maybe 
popping open their online banking to just approach it and maybe a different uh, with a fresh pair of eyes this time around. So I like to ask my guests three questions at the end of all my interviews. Um, what is your favorite way to cultivate intimacy, either platonically with friends and your community or with like loved ones? Oh, for me, I, I got to work out. I'm a fit chick. So I have to feel good in my body (laughs) for sure. And with your friends and family, you like to, to sweat together. I do. Um, I would say if I sweat for me so I can be there for them. So with friends and family, I would say it's more like food. Mm. Like we get together and cook something or we go out to eat. So I sweat first and then you make a good meal. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) And what's one thing that you're really finding is bringing a lot of pleasure to your life right now? Oh, gosh. This pandemic, on one hand, it's been hard, but I love how I've been able to connect with so many different people. When I say different, I don't mean like, I mean like people from that have different perspectives on things. It's been such a growth moment for me. So I, I've, I'm enjoying that. Thank you, Zoom and Zencaster and all the platforms. It's been amazing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. I think it's the only thing that's really felt made us feel that sense of connection in a time of such isolation, right? It's like these little calls and these conversations, um, which I'm I'm definitely grateful for these online platforms. I mean, I wouldn't have known you if it wasn't for these things. Exactly. So really important. And then the last one is what's something that you're finding is bringing you a lot of play right now or bringing out that inner child, that fun for you? gonna be the same thing I mentioned I'm back into my body I I am walking outside yoga it's lifting weights yeah it's moving without the goal of anything just to do it to have fun I love that yeah that's amazing well I can definitely agree with just not feeling like you're in a um I'm in a closet right now chatting with you and like, you know, stretching your legs, moving your arms, wiggling, dancing, I think is just so, so important. So I appreciate that reminder. So thank you for being here. Why don't you share with everyone where they can connect with you if anything resonated and they want to get in touch? Sure. I am. I am on the gram, Instagram. My handle is mindfully Chiama and a lot of what I put on Instagram goes to my Facebook business page. So Mindfully Chiyama is also there if you're a Facebook person. And then my website is called The Mindful Bookkeeper. And uh, find out, find a few things about me there. If not, more of my personality is on Instagram. Perfect. And we'll pop those links in the show notes too for easy access for the folks who are listening. So thank you so much for being here for this beautiful conversation. I really appreciate your time and your heart to share with us. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been great. Thank you for your open heart.